0: This month we started a series, began last week, on a topic that I've entitled Pretty Ugly People. Um, and, and, and as we dove in, and I, I mentioned to you a bit earlier kind of with some of our announcements, if you have uh, the Real Life app, you're going to see some things on the screen hopefully to help you to stay engaged and to, to just kind of push into what we're going to talk about today and this month, but uh, there's more of those notes that are available on the Real Life app as well, so you can even down that, download that right now, and you'll see at the bottom of that opening page it says Sermon Notes, so you can jump in and, and engage with me today as well. But what is this idea that we want to talk about this month, about pretty ugly people? So when we look at the Bible, especially through the Gospels, that Jesus had a lot of encounters with especially some of the religious leaders of his day. And not that they were really after his message so much, but uh, really, when they came to him, they wanted to take what Jesus was talking about, his teachings, and, and twist them so in some way that they could have grounds to discredit him, maybe ultimately have him banished. And, and as we see the gospels uh, continue to, to progress, that really they had a plan that he would be killed as a heretic. And so when they started these kind of spiritual debates... Uh, we read about one of them, and that's really the basis of, of what we're going to share this month. We find in Mark chapter 7, so you, maybe if you have uh, one of the versions on your, on your device, or maybe you have your Bible with you this morning, that they came to Jesus again with one of these outside kind of debate, debatable issues, and Jesus wanted nothing to do with a lot of this stuff that just is a lot of surface stuff. Jesus always drives the message to our hearts. That's really where the gospel is going to get stuck in our lives when when we open up our hearts to hear the message of the gospel. And so these religious leaders come to Jesus on what we could, you know, kind of lay out as a really petty issue for us today, and Jesus wants nothing to do with it, and he turns it on them and makes it a real issue of the heart. So let me read some of it to you today from Mark's gospel, chapter 7. So Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen to me, everyone that's here, and understand this word. For nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach and then out of their body." And then he went on and said that what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart. You see, if we're going to get messed up in this life or we're going to kind of leave the path or the journey, it's not going to be with some of these petty outside issues that oftentimes we can fight about between different churches, denominations, or whatever it is. The thing that God is most concerned about is where is our heart in relationship to him? And that's what Jesus wanted to bring to not only these religious leaders, but to the crowd that had joined. Now, part of the backstory that gets us into these verses of Mark chapter 7 is that Jesus' disciples were walking through the marketplace and they were finding something to eat and they kind of either bought or sold or they took from what was in the marketplace and they began to eat it. And right away, these religious leaders are maybe standing off to the side, again, just waiting for an opportunity to engage Jesus or to kind of twist his teachings. And they said, there it is. That See what we're talking about? Your disciples are defiled. And Jesus said, what are you talking about? It's because they took of this food without ceremonially washing their hands. And so now they are doing this despicable act because they are eating this food with defiled hands. And so oftentimes when we read through the Gospels, we recognize that the church leaders of Jesus's day were all about the outside. They were all about these teachings and and words of of the elders of the church, but had nothing to do with the message that Jesus or that God was preaching. And so Jesus drops this on them um, as they brought to him about this most devastating thing because, because the disciples didn't ceremonially wash their hands before they ate. And Jesus said, Isaiah, again speaking of the prophet, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. For this is what he wrote, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Now, it's going to kind of melt this into our life today as well. And I want us to think about this issue. What is it that sometimes we can get so worked up and debatable about on some of the outside frivolous things when really what Jesus is really trying to do is change our hearts Right? We, we want to be in control of a lot of the things that, that bring destination to the things that we want to see happen in our life. And all the time, God's saying, listen, not that that's not a bad thing, but you're missing the point. You see, we can be pretty on the outside, but be kind of ugly on the inside. We can kind of show up and do and kind of act like the way we should be acting, and yet inwardly, we're not doing very well. And Jesus called the religious leaders of that day a pretty strong term. He called them a hypocrites. He said, "You honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. You worship me in vain. Your teachings are that of mere human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and you simply hold on to human traditions." I think for my whole life I've heard that the church is full of hypocrites, right? I don't think we're full, but let's be honest, they're here, right? I mean, I think Jesus would probably eyeball maybe a few of us here today, right, with the same idea that we kind of have the wrong perspective of really what is important or what we really should be going after. The word that, that, that Jesus used here, quoting Isaiah, was the, was the word "hypocrites," right, where we get the word hypocrite. And it means an actor who is playing a part, who's pretending. And for those of you that are regular part of real life, we, I tell people all the time, we name the church on purpose. Far from any of us being perfect, but the idea is, is that we don't want to be a hypocrite in our journey with Jesus. I mean, the desire is, is that we're not here playing a part. I don't want to be an actor in my relationship with Jesus, Can anybody shout amen with me today, right? We want to live real. We want to know that we are on point with Jesus. And so what Jesus is laying out for us is that a hypocrite is a person who pretends to have certain beliefs about what is right, but who behaves that is very different or that disagrees with those beliefs. And I guess I want to challenge all of our hearts in this series. Are we being pretty on the outside? Ugly people. Are we all dressed up and we're kind of showing off on the outside like all of the things that we do and yet inside we're just simply playing a part? We have a belief system, but our behavior, it disagrees with those beliefs. And it comes really down to it that I don't know that we're ever going to know that of one another, but here's the scary truth. God knows that about each and every one of us, right? And so the challenge is, what would Jesus say about my life? What would he have to pick out about some of the things that, that, that stick in my life? And so we're talking about some character issues and some of the things that Jesus addressed that, that maybe from time to time in church we don't really talk about enough. Last week we talked about jealousy and, and envy and some of the ugly parts of our life that, that just kind of launch out and, and maybe can be attacking towards people or situations. And, and, and sometimes even surprisingly, like where does that stuff come from? Where, how did that happen? And we know that it comes from our hearts. And that's what's going to defile us. That's what's going to keep us from walking this journey that God has laid out for us. The issue that I want to take on today is the issue of anger. Anger. We live in an angry world. Can anybody say yes today? We live in an angry world. Weekly, we watch passengers flipping out on a plane or while they're waiting to board, yes? How many of you get lost on YouTube once in a while, just like, I can't believe that people actually act like that, right? I mean, it's kind of unending, just like one after the other after the other. I I certainly don't know the facts specifically, but it seems to be that when I'm riding along with, with EPD, that half of the calls that night are of a domestic violence nature. labeled people Karens because of their outburst, right? Their ridiculous reactions to people and how they berate and go after people. One study reports that almost 64% of Americans strongly agree that people in general are getting angrier all the time. Now, I don't know about what fuel or what fire is in your tank I don't know about what outbursts or kind of rage that might be in you, but there's a lot to this issue of anger. And so, again, maybe on the notes or, or you're going to just kind of follow along or maybe this will be a help to maybe a few particular people. You know, I think that obviously in this kind of crazy world in which we're living, that there are a number of common causes, whether it's stress or not feeling appreciated or treated fairly Maybe it might be financial challenges that are just building up within you. It could be work or relationship issues, violence, trauma, abuse. Maybe there's even some mental health issues mixed in of all the And I want you to make sure that you catch it. I'll I'll read it maybe a second time if, if you don't get it. But let me put it on the screen. Anger is an acid that will do more harm to the vessel in which it is stored than on the person to whom it would be poured. Maybe some of you want to take a screenshot of that. I mean, I think that's pretty profound. You see, we can't just kind of like push it aside. We are living in a continually more angry world. We're going to be bumping up with situations that, that there is going to be continue. How many know that stress most likely is not going anywhere, Right? That we are gonna be facing challenges. And and it's gotta be a moment to say, do my beliefs and do my behaviors match up? Christian counselors report that 50% of people who come in for Christian counseling have problems dealing with anger. So we're not talking about them out there. Part of this study is for you and I to talk about what's happening. In us, So let me start with an opening preposition for all of us this morning. First of all, anger is not a sin, right? Obviously, we recognize that there are a lot of emotions as humans that we go through. And there are moments and things that kind of, you know, get the fur of the back of our neck kind of standing up. And sometimes it's kind of amazing how quickly that it can happen at any time through the day or any circumstance or situation. So although anger is not a sin, I would say left unattended, it will surely lead us into sin. It is like a caged lion. And we recognize that there have to be controls and there have to be ways for us to understand some of the emotions that happen in our life so that our beliefs and our behaviors do not become hypocritical about who we are as being followers of Jesus. Anger is a very common emotion that oftentimes can get a bad rap. But here's the difference, right? We have to know that there is a large difference between anger and aggression. Right? So we're going to get hit with the emotion of, of anger from time to time. But what we want to understand, what does the Bible teach us about how we act on it? What do we do with it, You see, a lot of us are kind of content with saying, well, I'm a redhead. Hello, right? We are born to be raw and angry and we yell and scream, right? Or maybe uh, the culture that you come from, like that's just, like we're just born with that. And sometimes we give ourselves license that unfortunately not only harm our life, but harm the people that are around us as well. The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, there's a couple of more familiar passages that deal with anger. And to kind of go along with this starting point this, this morning, Paul says this, be angry, but sin not. Right? How many have read that? Yeah? So, pastor, how does that fit into my life? What it, so, so, the idea is that I get to be angry, that I just can't sin. So, so where is it on that line? Like where, where are the markers that I need to know that help that, that my belief and my behavior, that my lifestyle, my representation of who Christ is to my family and the world around me is in check and where it needs to be. Listen, we've all been angry, and most likely we will be angry at some point again, right? And if that's not you, just point to your friend or your husband or your wife like, that's them, Right? Like, we know that there are going to be moments that our fire is going to be lit over something. So, again, how do we master the feelings of anger rather than them mastering me? And I've got kind of some really poignant questions for all of us this morning. And maybe for those of you that are thinking, Pastor Jim is giving you a pass to be angry, I'm not, okay? Like, oh, he's telling me I can be angry. No, I'm not saying that, right? Let me finish, okay? Let me give you a few more verses on this whole idea of of anger. James writes this. So then, my beloved brethren, let everyone be swift to hear, Slow to speak and slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Right? So James looks at his church and says, listen, there's a lot of things that you can kind of move forward in. But you got to be careful when it comes to anger or wrath. Because although it might not be a sinful mo- uh, moment, right? It might be a, 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 an attitude or, or an emotion that's getting enacted within you. If you are not dealing with it properly, it will produce, it will not produce the righteousness of God. It will pull away from really what needs to be melting and what needs to be molded into your heart. Sake, wrath. So, I don't know where you fit on the scale. We're going to maybe ask some questions this morning. And maybe, how is it that we can be angry and and not sin? So, maybe one of the other classic examples where we kind of feel this emotion of anger in Scripture is in Matthew chapter 21. We read about when Jesus went to the temple on one occasion. But there's an immediate second truth in this story. Probably a lot of you that have come to church for big parts of your life would say, okay, I've I've heard this story. But I would bet that a lot of you do not see this whole scene in context. And I think it'll be a little bit eye-opening for all of us this morning. So it centers around Jesus going to the temple one day and And there were a lot of feasts and a lot of people coming in from from all outside of Jerusalem. And they would, because they could not bring their sacrifice or their gift to to the temple from, from maybe days of traveling, they would buy the sacrifice or buy the gift at the temple door and then take it in for sacrifice. And what was going on is that those who were selling these sacrifices, maybe they were doves or animals or, again, part of the Old Testament-type sacrificial practices, they were charging an exorbitant amount of money for people to get a sacrifice. Now, we know that when we go places and they get us, right, when you're locked in, they can kind of charge whatever they want to charge, right? And sometimes, like, we don't feel good about that. Like, you go to a a ball game or a football game, or you go here or there, and the prices that they charge, like, is ridiculous. We're we're okay with, like, there are kind of nominal fees. We realize, hey, you know, people are obviously making money, or they're providing a service, and so part of that is there. But the context of this is it wasn't just, you know, like a 5% markup. It was like a 75% markup. These people were coming to the house of God and and what normally, right, they would pay $5 for a sacrifice, they were being charged $50. And when Jesus saw this, something happened inside of him. And we understand it as a righteous anger. What Jesus saw was greed, hypocrisy, abuse, and the misuse of his father's house. He saw people that looked apart on the outside, but their heart was evil. And so Jesus did something that was, listen, out of the ordinary for him. In his righteous anger, not a sinful anger, Jesus made a scene. If you know the story, Jesus came in and saw this incredible abuse taking place in the house of God... And the Bible says that he took the tables of these money changers, right? They, they, they were charging these astronomical amounts for the sacrifice. And it says that he started flipping the tables left and right. And, and he found some cords and, and almost like, like a whip and was just kind of like snapping and, and getting people's attention and recognizing what they were doing was so violently wrong for what the mission and what the house of God really stood for. Here's what it says, and so Jesus entered the temple courts and drove them all out, those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and of the benches of those who were selling doves, and he said, it is written, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. But I want you to stay with me, because for those of you that are familiar, and we kind of kind of talk about maybe angry issues and, and we could go, well, even Jesus got angry, right? And, and sometimes we miss the context of what we read about in Matthew chapter 21 and how it needs to happen in your life and my life because we fail to keep reading the story. We, we seemingly stop at that point, but there's more to the story than that. And so Matthew continues to write almost without missing a beat and he says this, for then the blind and the lame came to Jesus at the temple and he healed them. Now I want you to keep both parts of that in perspective to not only how Jesus lived but how you and I are to live as well. So Jesus walks into church and he sees this mad abuse taking place and they're buying and selling, and they're charging people, all this, and, and Jesus realizes how wrong this is. This is not what the family of God is about. This is not what church, this is not what temple is all about. This is a place to welcome people, to, to bind the brokenhearted, to heal those that are hurting, to encourage those that that need strength, and, and you're on the first impression of people coming in. You're totally doing that wrong, and so Jesus makes a scene, right? And he disabolishes everything that, that they had set up, but then Matthew says, says, but then immediately, what? The blind and the lame come to Jesus, and he heals them. Now, I don't know about some of us in kind of our anger or the difficult things that we have. There are some that are probably low simmers to a boil. Any people that have that kind of anger emotion, right? Like maybe it just kind of starts a little slow and then... And boy, we kind of chew on it for a while, and things more happen, and we just boo, and, 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 and at some point, there's going to be an explosion, right? And then there's probably a few in the house that are a little bit more kind of at the moment. You're kind of explosive angry people. You don't have to raise your hands, but, you know, they're here, right? Right? I mean, it doesn't take much. In fact, maybe sometimes your spouse, your family, or whatever, we hear people that they have to walk on eggshells around you. Because why? At any moment, right? It's like putting the, the spark to a can of gasoline, like, boom, and you just never know what's going to take place. Listen, every one of us get angry, and we all kind of have a style or an issue. But how do we take that? as a follower of Jesus. Like, is that going to be our label? Is that going to be our reputation? Is that what's, we're just gonna kind of go with it and, and you better not challenge me on any of that? And here we read this story. I mean, it's pretty kind of graphic, right? It's pretty wild and amazing. It, it's not what we normally read when we think about the life of Jesus, he comes into church, he sees all this stuff and just starts kind of ripping and tearing tables apart and, you know, making a whip and kind of chasing people around. And when we read that, we're like, oh my gosh, like, what, like this is crazy. Like what, like what would I have felt like if I was there? But we stop at that part because maybe it isn't as crazy as maybe we read into it because Matthew quickly follows up to say, but the lame And the blind came to Jesus, and he healed them. It doesn't sound like a crazy, angry person, does it? If you say, like, after he has this action, that there must have been some kind of emotion, there had to be some kind of sense among the people that Jesus wanted to give the right impression that this is what the house of God was for and what only maybe Jesus could do was to take that action that scattered the hypocrites but yet instantly found a heart open to the hurting can somebody say yes with me today you see that's what took place in this instance it seems almost out of place for you and I because for some of us once our alarm goes off right like once the once the pressure gauge goes into the red, how many know, like, it might take us hours? For some, it might even take days to come back down, right? So, how are we to live when we find ourselves in all kinds of situations that bring out, like, raw emotion of anger around us? You see, we read in Matthew chapter 21 that Jesus got angry, but I would bet for most of us here today that. That that characteristic of Jesus, if we, were, if we were asked, hey, label all of the things, like all the characteristics of Jesus, we probably wouldn't even come up with that. We wouldn't even think about that one. Because although Jesus did get occasionally angry, by far, if I was to say to you, hey, come on, let's just call out some things about who Jesus was, like like emotionally and in his humanity, like what was he all about? I mean, I think I would hear love, compassion, help, grace, care, healer, friend, because that's how we know Jesus. But my question to us today is this. What is mostly known about me you see jesus got angry at what was taking place but i don't think we ever think about that much at least i don't when i think about jesus would you agree i mean it happened he had that human emotion but but there was so much but i i wonder for all of us here today what would be said about you what would be said about me and, and, and before you answer, I really don't want to hear from you. I'd rather hear from your spouse or your kids or maybe the people that you work with. Now, how many are saying, oh, no, Pastor, you're not getting assays to those people. Like, if I ask them, to be honest, like, hey, talk to me about so-and-so. Talk to me about your husband, your wife. Your, like, like, who are they? What, what would be the characteristic that would be much closer to the top of the list? Would they say, oh, I don't know, he's just, he's just an angry person. Just, just moody all the time. Like, I just, I never know how to take him or her. I just, like, I got to be careful. Wives, husbands. Just because, like, if I say the wrong thing, like, he or she, they're just going to go off. Would they tell me you're an angry person? You might not believe it, and that's why I'm not going to ask you. But maybe we need to be bold and brave enough to wonder what, what would people say about my character? So let me give you a couple of keys. Because maybe it's not you, but there's some people that you know that maybe you can be a helper to address this kind of issue. You see, the idea is that that our belief and our behavior, hello, need to match up. And if your family, your spouse, your testimony is one where people don't know how to take you or just waiting for the next thing to happen or to go off, then you need to hear this. This is for you today. So although Jesus, angry, He was never angry about stuff that was on him. He was never angry about his own stuff. His anger was always at the abuses and the wrongdoings or the lack of justice that was going on in the world in which he witnessed. John Stott remarked this, there is room for Christian righteous anger. Be angry with with evil, don't tolerate it. Be angry with sin, not indifferent to it. So there is a part of that emotion of anger that, that can be a part of our life. But, but the more that it hangs out in our life or is unproductive, it will truly lead us down a pathway that will not only be destructive to you, but to everyone around you. There is a blast zone that you might not even be aware of that is around you your life. For those that are kind of in the military or understand like munitions, that if you have a grenade, you realize that you could throw it, and obviously there is not only going to be the part where there is direct contact where that grenade goes off, but there is a blast zone that might be 20 or 30 feet around that spot that if you are anywhere in that vicinity, you're going to get shrapnel. And what I want to challenge is, is that I wonder what's the zone around your life? Dad's you with your wife, with your kids, wives with your kids, or maybe people in your circle. What would the people in your circle truly say about you? See, the scary thing is that we can dress ourselves up and look pretty here on Sundays, but we might be kind of harboring a really ugly secret inside. So what do we have to know about all of this? Let me give you a couple of things really quickly. First of all, the challenge is, is that we don't nurse our anger. You see, the more that we nurse our anger, before you know it, you'll begin to enjoy it, believe it or not. You'll begin to coddle it. You'll begin to embrace it. You're going to, it provides some kind of power inside of us. Because people will start to repel. People will, will not know their place. And, and in a twisted way, it provides some kind of psychological strength within us, maybe some type of superiority. And I can tell you that the more that we embrace anger, it's very difficult to let go. The Bible says, and here's a great point for us, the Bible says, don't let the sun go down on your anger and then it quickly says, and don't give the devil a foothold because of it, right? So what does that mean? What is the Bible talking about? Well, here, here's what it is. There is a time and a place for anger, okay? So, so we're going to get angry. This is not about us not ever Getting angry, but the Bible helps to define for us how do we live with the emotion of anger? And the Bible tells us that there is a time and a place. So what is the time factor that the Bible gives to us as anger? Don't let the what sun go down. So how do we oftentimes take that? We got a day, right? You got 24 hours. I thought about something earlier this morning when I was looking at, but in, in Jesus' day, right, the Jewish kind of day went from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. That's when night started. So when the Bible says, don't let the sun go down on your anger, for them that would have literally meant you got till 6 p.m. Now, oftentimes in our American culture, we think, all right, Pastor Jim, thanks, at least I've got 24 hours. I used to take 72, but I recognize maybe I only have 24. But if the Bible is right, what if you got angry at 5 p.m.? When did the sun go down? What time? Oh, how long do you have now? Oh, now you only have one hour. Aren't you glad you came to church now, right? So there is a time. So whatever that time is, obviously the Bible says what? Sooner than later. There is a time, but then there's also a place, because the word foothold, so don't let the sun go down on your wrath, and then make sure that you get rid of it, or you will provide the devil a foothold into your heart. The foothold actually meant a place. If we were just kind of talking in the Bible times, the the author would have said, don't get rid of it, or what you're allowing to do is have the devil have a seat at your table, or, in other words, you're giving a key to the devil to your house. So not only is there a time, but there is a place. Where is that place for us? It's in our heart. So the more we kind of nurse anger, it's just kind of like giving him a key or, or just cracking the door. And you realize that once the door is open, once it's unlocked, whatever, people are going to have access and when we allow anger to keep happening in us that's, that's unrighteous anger and you think like, hey, I can contain it. It only comes out every once in a while. It's only when I get so frustrated or whatever. But I want you to know the more you allow it to live around your house, it is going to move into your house and it's going to find a seat at your table. And you might not realize it, but the question is what would the people in your circle say about you. So don't nurse your anger. Number two, don't rehearse your anger. I don't know if you've been around people that this, you know, they kind of walk with that constant storm cloud over their head. Anybody? Do not, gentlemen, do not look to your wife right now, all right? Stay focused right on me. Right? We all know people, right? They're just difficult people to be around. And whether it's in your house, maybe it's in your workplace, there are some businesses that I go to that, that I, I, over the years, know the people that work there, and when I walk in the door and I see that person, I just kind of go, ugh, because they're just never nice, right? They just seem to be always angry. And how many know, right, first of all, what, a, what an uncomfortable feeling to be about that or, or how much they're just telling you what's going on and what happened today and, and they're angry about this and this took place and whatever. Here's what you need to know. Harry Brandt said this, nobody can make you angry. You are angry. People are just bringing it out of you. That's good stuff. That's gold right there no one can make you angry you just have to face the fact you're angry how many have kind of had somebody go off on them and our first response to them is something like this what what did i say yes what what you weren't trying to spark an argument you realize that person was angry for whatever it was and it's not our fault to bring it out of them, right? He's like, what, what's happening? There was rage and in already inside of them. So let me encourage you, if you're struggling and it's ongoing, there's a heart issue that you really have to spend some time and ask Christ to come in and help whatever this fire is that's going on in your life. It's going on way too long. The Bible says how long? At best, what? 24, to, yeah, 6 p.m., right? At best, you're gonna get a day. Because if you don't, if it lingers, you're inviting the enemy to have a seat at your table. Next, don't converse about your anger. And all this might sound similar. In other words, don't let what is in your heart always in that anger and vile that might be in there come out of your mouth. And that can come out in a lot of different things. It can come out with corrupted words. It could come out with cutting words. Words towards people sometimes we think that you know when we hear anger that it's just kind of this laced as this you know full-on rage and yelling and screaming but how many have heard the phrase that that death came by a million paper cuts right it's just kind of an image that although like somebody wasn't beating me with a stick or it wasn't something so visual and violent but it's all these like cutting remarks that are always coming out of your mouth to people. Maybe it's in your home or it's in your marriage and maybe you even think it's funny, but can I tell you, it's not. It's deadly. And the Bible says stop doing it. Stop letting whatever is in your heart that maybe it's again some sense of superiority or flexing or whatever it is and you might think it's funny these cutting comments to people all the time. But I'm here to tell you, it's not funny. It's deadly. And it's not only to the deadliness of the people that you're reaching out to, but it's killing your heart as well. It's a house. It's that kind of house that God's not comfortable living in. And I'm here to call all of us out on it. Listen, if that's us, that's you. We're a hypocrite. That's not good, that's not happy, that's not reflective of the heart and the love of God. Here's another thing that we find. You see, most heated arguments always get exaggerated. You see, that's the, like the multiplication of allowing this stuff in our heart, because once it gets out of the station. Once it starts to roll, it's amazing how exaggerated, right, all of our anger or all of this offense that we start directing towards people. Debbie and I, when we deal in marriage counseling with couples, it's amazing when they come in to see us and they are lit on fire, like, like it's been bad for a while and they're, you know, kind of, uh, you know, kind of in enemy mode right now. And we begin to ask them, hey, tell us about, like, what's happening, this, that, you know what the words that we hear? Here, almost every time are words like always, never, every time, all the time. Somebody say, yeah? Like, it gets so exaggerated, like every single time he comes in the door, right? You see, that's where this, that's where it leads, and you might think you're containing it, you might think you're controlling it, but it's multiplying, And it's getting stronger, and you don't know if you really feel that way, but it's amazing what words come out of our heart when we're trying to describe what's happening in our relationships around us. You see, we want to just keep heaping it on, don't we? So there's a good tip for those of you that might be fighting at home sometime, and you start hearing every time, all the time, never, right, you recognize that there's something going on that's much deeper in your hearts. So we don't converse and look for ways to bring damage into people's lives. Next, don't disperse your anger. Here's what Paul goes on to say. He said, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander along with every form of malice and then I put in the words, instead, so Paul has this kind of phrase, like this, this whole theme that he's talking to us about, and he gives us the negative, and now he says, what we need to do is not disperse it, but we're going to replace it. So instead, what should our life be like? Be kind, be compassionate towards one another, forgive one another, just as in Christ God forgave you. You see, one of the unfortunate sandbag endings for those of us as followers of Jesus, it's a little hard for us to hold on towards other people to that which Christ has already forgiven and dealt with our issue in us. And isn't it amazing that we want to hold on to everything that Christ has done for us and yet we still hammer and slice and dice people with an unrepentant heart as well. So Paul gets pretty direct for us today. And again, I don't know if this is where some of you are living today. Bitterness, rage, anger. I don't know if it's pressed down in you. I don't know if there are issues you need to get help with or talk through with maybe me or with a professional or whatever, but I want you to think about your blast circle. I want you to really wonder, you, you know who you are, you know the struggles that you have. What would people tell me? What are some of the things? Listen, if we're not willing to deal with it, we're just going to be hypocrites, right? We're going to be pretty, ugly people. Proverbs 19, verse 11 says, the discretion of a man makes him slow to anger, and his glory is to overlook a discretion. For us to realize, it's hard for me to get angry when I fully realize that Christ has done so much for me. How many maybe need to hear that you are not the Holy Spirit, (laughs) right? Right? Boy, aren't we wanting to be sometimes so good just to like to dive into somebody's life and just like get into that? That's not our job to do. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. You see, sinful anger is not just a rebuke. Sinful anger is a tantrum. And as ugly as it looks on a two-year-old or a three-year-old, it looks just as ugly on a 41 or a 51 or a 61-year-old. So you're saying, Pastor, what's the help in all of this? So We're not to disperse our anger. The biblical answer is that we reverse the anger. You say, well, how do I do that? How is it maybe something that's lived in my house for a long time? So again, obviously, it's the work of the Holy Spirit. Obviously, it's the work of maybe a trusted friend. So what does the Bible say? You know the Bible says when someone has made you angry, when maybe there has been some this action that is between you. How many want to hear what the Bible has to say about this? No, you don't. Trust made you angry and you know what the Bible says? You go to the person who made you angry and you minister to them. Told you you didn't want to hear it. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says in the book of Romans, if your enemy is hungry, what should you do? Man, great church. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For in doing so, you will heap coals of fire upon his head. You see, what happens in an angry debate is that we want to multiply it. Somebody one-ups us in an argument for a lot of us in this, how many say, you're not going to win. I'm going to one-up you, right? And then they're going to say, what? Well, that's not going to be the end. I'm, I'm coming back at you. And there just doesn't seem to be an end. And what the Bible is helping us to understand is how to put that to an end. And I know what's spinning around in some of your heads right now. You're saying, Pastor, the Bible tells us the person who is making me angry, I am supposed to minister to them And you're looking at me and you're saying, that's not natural. And you know what I say to that? You're absolutely right. But do you know what it is? It's supernatural. Hello? It's exactly what God wants out of your life. You see, the natural part of our humanity is that, man, it just wants to do self. It just wants to let self go. But the supernatural thing is to recognize, even if I've been harmed, even if it's been coming, I'm going to look for an opportunity, some way, somehow, to turn it around on them. I'm going to be the bigger person. I'm going to be the one where my belief and my behavior, somebody, is going to walk hand in hand. Let me tell you one more story. The band's going to come, and we'll finish with this today. I read kind of a, I guess, a cute and funny story a little bit this past week. How many are familiar with Dr. David Jeremiah? Yeah, because a lot of you probably read his books or listened to a lot of his stuff. And, and he wrote a little bit on this topic as well. And, and, you know, it's kind of funny. You hear some of these, you know, kind of famed pastors and teachers, and it's kind of somewhat easy to put them on a pedestal or think, you know, they probably don't do any wrong. And then you read of a story, Right. And so he said he was going into a fast food restaurant. He was out driving one day and was not fully paying attention and just kind of inadvertently in trying to pull into the, into the establishment, uh, kind of cut a person off that was coming the other way, kind of pulled in front of them. And he said, and it, it just like went off the rails like instantly. I don't know if you've ever been like in a moment like that. And these people then turned in behind him. Well, he got caught in the drive through line of the fast food restaurant. And these people pulled. And they were just on the horn, all kinds of hand gestures in and out of the window, just yelling and screaming. You know, and there he is, just in like, where, their car in front of me, they're like, I'm stuck. What am I going to do? And they are just, like, unrelenting, right? And he's trying to, like, wave it off and, like, I'm sorry. Like, this was not intentional, but I, they weren't having it. I mean, they were just unloading everything on him. And he, and he kind of felt like, as, as he was, like, being attacked, and he felt like, hey, this was kind of an honest mistake, but because it was just kind of coming at him, he started to feel that little buzz happening inside, Right? Like what, what human reaction right, are we going to respond with when, when we feel like we're being attacked or wrongly maligned? And he said, and it was just in that moment after he had been doing some reading and studying and preparing on this whole topic that the Holy Spirit talked to him about not letting anger get a foothold, not getting a place at his table. And he said right there in his car, he had a supernatural moment. Somebody say amen. Somebody say, man, that's for somebody. That ain't for me. Like that would, right? Like how crazy to think, right? The Holy Spirit could get me in that kind of moment. He said the Holy Spirit just started to speak those words into his life. And so he got up to the window. And while he's trying to pick up his food, the lady in the back is still like, ah! just Like yelling and screaming and whatever. And he looked at the lady at the counter and he said, Hey, and it was like $18.50. He said, Put that on my tab. I want to pay for the people that are behind me. So he paid their bill and he drove off. Now, honestly, and so proud of Dr. Jeremiah, he said, but there was a little bit of carnal in me that I wanted to drive around and park in a way that I could see their reaction when they drove up to the window and to hear the words, your bill was taken care of by the gentleman in front of you. And he said for just a split moment, that woman's face just kind of got red, her mouth dropped open, and she just grabbed the bag and drove off crazy, right? but it was a moment for us, a lesson for us in the middle of that. I realized that there were going to be some moments that are just going to spark some craziness in our life. But I think how Paul ends this is that my position is that we forgive each other just as Christ forgave us. Listen, I'm here to tell you, the more that you will hold on to hurt and anger, the more it, it will be like chains in your life. See, the enemy is really good to kind of give us the thoughts of justifying and it's everybody else's fault. But I want you to know that God wants us to recognize where do my beliefs and where do my behaviors And I think sometimes when it comes to these kind of feelings and anger that we can really self-justify ourselves so easily, right? It's so easy for us to say, they deserved that. That wasn't my fault. They started it. Hello, anybody? And it's just a license for us to hurt and to maim and to kill and create a blast zone around our life to purify us. God wants to help us. And I don't know who I'm talking to today or maybe those that are watching online. Maybe there's two of you. Maybe there's 40 of us. I don't know. But what I thought, we're not going to be long today, but what I thought today is that I just wanted to give us a minute or two. That hopefully what you heard today from God's word and from my heart is something that we can let just kind of sit and soak in us for just a little bit. And I got to imagine that maybe if it's not you so much that there might be somebody in your life that maybe you can help to speak to or influence. I don't normally get angry. It's not really a characteristic that, that is high on my list per se. I often tell people if you talk to my wife or you talk to my kids, I couldn't say never, but it's rare that I yell and scream and just go crazy and get angry. I That's one of the things that, but I realize if I don't keep the door closed, the enemy is always looking for a place at my table. And so I wanna give you just a minute or two, that's all. Can we allow God's word just to sit and soak on us for a little bit? Because if it is you, then how many believe today that we really need to open up our hearts, that this is a house of healing today for God to do some heart surgery, do some work on our lives? And maybe if it's not you per se, there probably are some people in your life that maybe we could just pray for. That there would be an opening that, that they would hear about how God wants to hold their life, right? So if you want, you can bow your heads. You don't have to, but I'm just going to ask Adriel, we're just going to kind of do a little kind of part of an ending. And But I just want to take these words and we're going to do it each week. It might not be a full-on altar call. It might not like we have to run to the altar. But it might be that we need to consider the words of scripture today and just recognize god I want I want you to come into my heart this morning and if there's some of this stuff I want to I want you to be in control of that amen